If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Um, welcome to another episode of And Security for All. Hope you guys are all ready for this long Memorial Day weekend. I hope everybody gets some uh, time off and some time with your family and can get away from work and try to have some um, downtime. Um, as many of you know, I'm the CEO of FutureCon Events, and we put on cybersecurity conferences all over North America. I just got back home late last night from Raleigh-Durham. Uh, we had another great event in person. Um, again, it's great seeing people face-to-face, -face, having conversations. We had a great group of cybersecurity professionals. And I always want to throw it out there, you know, check out our website at FutureCon Events because chances are we are probably coming to a city near you pretty soon. I'm very excited about another great um, event that's going to be in person again. It's the annual RSA conference that's out in San Francisco. Uh, FutureCon this year is co-sponsoring a fun happy hour event out there with two legends of Zero Trust. We're doing a short discussion with... Um, these two uh, favorites out in the world of Zero Trust, the creator of Zero Trust, who has been a past guest on our show, John Kinderbag, and Dr. Zero Trust himself, my guest today, Chase Cunningham. I'm excited to have Dr. Chase Cunningham back on the show. He's probably one of the busiest guys I know. He's doing all kinds of things out in the cyber industry. I was very fortunate enough to have him work with FutureCon for a few years when I first launched FutureCon. He was um, helping us. He was on my advisory board. And when I um, launched and Security for All, he helped with all the content and everything. So I'm grateful he's going to take the next 50 minutes or so to chat with us. And I assume he's going to have give us some healthy doses of the reality of zero trust, which is probably going to scare us all a little bit. So Welcome to the show, Chase. Hey, thanks for having me again. <laughs> it's yeah. fun, to be, fun to be back on something I was in, uh, kind of involved with. That was cool. I know. Isn't it funny, like hearing the whole uh, the, the intro because you helped me with all that. So. Yeah, I remember writing uh, content for this. <laughs> I know. I, I was like, this will be uh, going back down memory lane. So good seeing you again. And um a lot you're doing tons out there before we kind of dive into some of the latest things happening tell us you know what's going on with you and all these books i can't yeah. even keep up with all these books you're writing but um if you want to just kind of brief us on what's going on in your world uh yeah so probably the biggest thing um for the last few months has been really doing the zero trust market map which um honestly just kind of came on a whim after talking with some end users that were trying to figure out all the zt marketing and which which vendors actually did which thing. And uh, I did a, a sort of um, ontological map for my doctorate. And I was like, well, I'll just start mar mapping the market out. Didn't realize that that was going to become an actual effort. And uh, I think now we've got a couple hundred vendors in there. We've mapped out the majority of the market. Obviously, it's always growing and changing, but that's been nights and weekends and those types of things. And then uh, on the far end of that, I just got contracted to write another book. Um, so I'm just, you know, trying to stay as busy as I possibly can, which in today's world is not uh, 
not hard. Um, hopefully it's useful. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Yesterday we had um, some really great CISOs um, in Raleigh, some of them that you might know. I don't know if you know Benjamin Coral from Coates. He he knows you, but he's I like a, I know the name. Yeah, you guys actually look very similar. I was like, hey, you know, you look like Chase Cunningham. But we had some great seats. And one of the things that um, questions that I even had to think about for myself is how are you balancing work, business, and family? Well, I mean, to be uh, a thousand percent honest, because I, I believe in putting yourself out there. Like I, last year uh, in November of last year, I actually worked myself until I literally gave myself a, an ischemic uh, heart attack. Um, so I'm 42 years old. I was 41 at the time. I was not sleeping. I was working like a friggin' dog. I was taking care of 10 different things, plus the kids, plus all the other stuff, whatever. I, I, I literally gave myself uh, an ischemic heart attack, which means it kind of came and went had to go get a stent and all that other stuff. Um, and I've taken a, a really uh, valuable lesson from that and learned like, look, I, I can't save everybody all the time. I need to be careful with what I'm doing and just be very selective, but very focused on, on how I go about projects. And then, um, you know, the biggest thing for me since then has really been to say, look at, at five 30, um, I'm done. I do, you know, unless there's a, a fire burning or someone that is in immediate need of assistance, I'll get to it, you know, when during working hours. So I, I think that that's something we all need to be better at from um, we don't unplug enough. Uh, and, you know, just uh, sometimes it takes a wake up call to make you wake up. Well, one of the buzzwords they were using is the integration of, uh, you know, business, you know, family life and your health. So yeah, you're never off. I mean, you're never, this remote stuff is great, but you're never not at the office, which is also a problem. And I mean, you know, if you're, if you have family, um, not that the folks that don't have families are working any, you know, not as hard, but just when you have additional things going on, you're, you're, you're juggling a lot of balls and it can weigh on you real heavily. And it, um, I mean, you know, me, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy. People think that nothing affects you or whatever else, but you can work yourself into an early grave. Well, so tell us about all these books. Cause I can't even keep up with them. When I was, <laughs> when I went to your LinkedIn, I'm like, Oh my gosh, she has another one. So, uh, yeah. what, so what, like fill us in. Cause there's so much great content about, you know, I think most people that are tuning in on LinkedIn live know who Chase Cunningham is. And, um, since I, I had no idea that you and John Kinderweg were so tight. I didn't know that until he came on the show. So yeah, John, John's great. I've known John was, um, my, gave me my first onstage shot after I got out of the military. So he's, he's been a friend of mine for a decade plus now. Well, I think it's pretty cool when you, when you Google zero trust, his name comes up. And one of the questions I asked him and, and before we get it, I'm kind of diverting from your book is, what is your thought when you have all these vendors that are out there that says we provide zero trust, you know, when it, and he probably it, said, Oh God, yeah, <laughs> you know, everybody provides zero trust right now. So yeah, so how, I mean, how, how does one determine what, what is real zero trust? Well, it's, it's good that there's a market that's um, gravitated to this. Cause I think the strategy is the right strategy, you know, for what we're trying to solve. Um, it, it, it's, I mean, anything in, in any space where there's a market opportunity, people are going to market that. So that's fine. I don't, I don't lose sleep about it, but I think the, the, the way that I determine it is I, I have a framework that I created at Forrester called ZTX and I, I go through and I map out vendor capabilities into that matrix. And then that lets me know which things kind of go where. 
Uh, and if you're able to figure out how well aligned they are to ZT, it gives you a real rundown on how they're doing it. And you can tell really quickly the vendors that have just seen, hey, there's an opportunity. Let's go throw a bunch of ZT stuff on our web page and we'll win ZT wars. And then there's the folks that you can crawl through it and actually understand how they enable the strategy. And it, the, the difference becomes clear really quickly. And I, I'm speaking because I've been doing the market map and crawling through 260 something vendors um, go to market collateral. So how did you take, so you were an analyst over at Forrester. And so now you're working, is it um, Aircom? Is that yeah. It? yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so are you an analyst for them or what are you doing for Aircom? So Aircom, I'm doing strategy for them, um, but luckily they've got a good leadership team over there that's also said, look, the ZT thing is bigger than just Aircom, so feel free to go off and do zero trust analyst work as, if you want to, and I've just stayed engaged in that space. And I I, I really think that there's, um, and when you believe in something, like I, I literally believe in ZT as a strategy, I you can't kind of let it go. Uh, so I think that it's it's been useful to have kind of both sides and where I was in the analyst world. Now I've been helping a vendor do strategy, but also being engaged with big, broad strokes and big, broad initiatives on ZT uh, market wise. So you're working, you know, you're, it seems like you have your hands in so many different things. And so, sure. so how, how, how do you collaborate all that if you're working, you know, for on the vendor side, but you're still working with other vendors on some, of their boards. How are you managing that? And how are you writing books? And how are you quitting at five o'clock? I would like uh, to to that. <laughs> well, you know, get up, get up earlier is one thing, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the other piece is um, to just be specific with your calendar and have it really carved out where from this day to this time, I'm going to do X and Y and Z and then go on forward from there. When it comes to like writing books and things like that, it's it's um, it's got to be something you really enjoy. Uh, otherwise, it's just more work, and that gets really miserable really fast. So you you know that kind of just happens by itself. I I find myself if I've got travel or if I'm uh, free for lunch or something, I'll bang out you know a couple hundred words, and it just grows from there. And then the last piece is just making sure that I never put myself in a place where I'm um, conflicting uh, with the the organizations I'm working with. So. Yeah, I work really hard to make sure that I don't um, paint anybody into a corner. So tell us a little bit, because I was on a call with you this morning about this whole um, happy hour out at zero uh, out at RSA and um, explain to us what this mapping is. And for all, you know, we have people listening on the radio show that are they tune in just to learn more about cybersecurity. And then usually our LinkedIn people are very well educated on, you know, cybersecurity. So if you can just kind of put in layman's terms, you know, the whole mapping out. Yeah, sure. So if you think about a big, broad um, strategic initiative, right, like that's what ZT is all about. And then there's there's a whole market that's moved to that because they have a way to enable that strategy. That being said, there's a need to crawl through all of the capabilities that are there to enable that strategy and then make it granular so someone can look at that real quickly and understand if I'm solving this problem, these vendors do that thing. So it, it helps them to boil off um, just, you know, I'm trying to solve for zero trust. That's really a big thing and it, it could take you a lot of time and effort. Whereas my an initiative has been to go through and say, okay, here's the framework. Here's the pieces that go there. Here's to do which things. If you, if you could, kind of step back from us both being military and say, okay, let's say our strategy was to uh, win the war. Okay, well, 
the war, you have these things that you need in order to win war. You have you need a navy, an army, an air force, marine corps, and coast guard. Okay, well within those, which technologies do those groups offer that could help you win some part of the war? And maybe it's special operations from the U.S. Army. Okay, special operations from the U.S. Army is 75th Rangers, and then within the Rangers, the Rangers use uh, M4 carbine. So that that whole thing is just to be very focused and very descriptive and then let people understand the components that help enable the big, broad strategic approach. And I, all of that stuff that we're doing, it's all open source. It's all free for any users that are trying to go look at it. I'm not making money on it. It's just to get people out there and help them understand that this problem is solvable. So what are some of the good things that you think are happening with zero trust? And then what are some of the challenges that you're still seeing? Well, I think the good things that are happening, obviously having the, you know, the White House and the President of the United States really put that uh, ZT out there um, is is uh, a big deal. Uh, and I think that there's going to be more to come with that. I can sort of say wink, wink. There's going to be more to come with that in the very near future. And that that, like John says, has, has changed the incentive structure for people to understand I don't have to work my way up the food chain. I can go the boss's boss at the top. Literally the president is saying you need to figure out how to enable this. So we've, we've effectively jumped the shark on that one. And then the, the good thing on top of that is the technology to enable these strategic approaches um, has grown. We have the capability unequivocally to enable ZT technologically right now. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. There's a whole lot of different vendor technologies you could pick, but you could do it. And then the bad side, the, the, the negative side of it is it's still a very muddy marketplace and there still is a lot of confusion between what things do what, which ZT things or what ZT things and how we're really dealing with that. But we're, we're working to get past it. It's uh, it's not a one and done. It takes time, um, but it, it's worth the effort. So your last book, what, what was your current book? What was the name of that book? And tell us what it is about. Cause I did read the comments that tons of people love that book and can't put it down. So tell us a little bit about that. And yeah, um, the last one I published was with uh, a co-author with General uh, Gregory Tuhill, who's the uh, leader over at Carnegie Mellon University, former U.S. Air Force. And that, that book was called Riptide. And basically we ran through a narrative scenario of how um, an adversary would put malicious software inside of the government software supply chain and then do things to like manipulate satellite controls and that was that was pretty cool pretty interesting really fun project to write then right before that i published a book called gabriel which was about um artificial intelligence kind of going amok but it was very focused on how ai really works and how that would actually possibly happen and and that that was um uh i guess you'd call it a true fiction because it was very based in true technology, but it was also a fictional narrative. Hmm. That's so, um, and then how many books do you have total now? Uh, if you count the books for kids, there's three of those. So six books working on number seven right now. You have, you have three books for kids. What are those books? Yeah. That's the Sinja comic book series, C-Y-N-J-A. Yeah. So that's, um, a graphic novel series that myself and Heather, uh, Heather, doll published for kids and families in cyber. Oh, that's pretty cool. I had no idea about that. Yeah. So, um, 
I know, you know, you're still speaking at a lot of events and stuff. So when you're going Starting to get, getting back to it anyway, finally. Well, that's good. We're going to have to have you back at one of our events. And I know every time you do one of our keynotes, um, people, the comments are, wow. You know, that's pretty much what it is, like re a big reality check. So if you had to go out and you were going to talk to an audience of cyber professionals right now, what do you think the key things are that we should be talking about, what we should be doing and how we can change our everyday life of just trying to be more secure with zero trust? Well, I think um, the big thing is somebody would probably say, well, I don't know about the ZT thing or whatever else. That's fine. Don't don't get too wrapped up in trying to to call something zero trust. I could care less what you call a strategy. I think that ZT makes sense because you're trying to remove trust or relationships from systems. But the real point is to enable a strategy, have some sort of strategy, be able to tell people what you're doing and why you're doing it, the value that's there, and then march along that, that path until you complete that objective. And then the other thing is, um, you really should stop trying to think of how to have a perfect sort of defense that there will never be a breach or never be a compromise because there will. The very nature of technology that we use is going to allow something bad to occur. Um, the, the thing that you should be focused on is isolation, control, segmentation, those types of things so that you can make sure that a bad thing doesn't go to be really, really bad. Um, and it, 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 can, it can get really, really bad really quickly. But if you're approaching the problem from that perspective of I accept something is going to go wrong, where is it most likely to go wrong and how would I control that and wrap your head around that approach? It's a really different way of thinking about the problem. Well, how are, you know, these CISOs, you know, going back to work and balance and family and all that? I mean, they're, you know, they have the stress of the world on them because we just don't know what's going to happen any minute. So what's your advice to those leaders and, and the, and the people that are working for, you know, the CISOs and anyone on the security teams, you know, what do you think is, um, what should they be doing differently that they're not doing now when, when they think it's not going to happen to them? Don't you think everybody should have the mindset? It's only when it's going to happen to us. Well, I think I think the mindset should be really around um, we want to live with the reality of the space and we want to make sure that we understand that we deal with what is what is likely to occur, not what kind of might occur, um, because that's a problem we'll never really catch up to. So I think that that's a value. I honestly tell people all the time in workshops and whatnot. The first thing you should be doing, in my opinion, is a real hardcore red team event, because that's how you learn what would actually cause compromise and where your weak spots really are. I don't mean a penetration test. I mean a full on actual kick you in the face red team type event, because then you'll be real with what's going on and you'll have a real understanding of how a, an adversary would target your infrastructure. If you're, if you're not starting there, I think you're doing yourself a disservice to be perfectly, personally, Frank, perfectly, perfectly Frank. You know, I had some, um, last year during COVID, we did a lot of these, um, I don't, I don't know if you ever came on one, but they were these uh, bourbon happy hours that we had a bunch of CISOs come on. And it, it was really interesting just because it was no, you know, if the vendor was there, it was nothing about sales. It was just about, you know, the, just what are the CISOs doing? And we had some really big, you know, financial institutions, the CISOs were there. And some of the things that the larger enterprise companies are doing is, you know, I guess in a way it's like a red team, you know, initiative, but they would have, you know, cybersecurity days. And that's when they would try to trick all their employees. And the ones that um, 
you know, the ones that passed would get, you know, they'd win like, you know, Nintendo switches. And he's, you know, he said that their organization was like, that was became their favorite day was the cybersecurity day. Ooh, I don't know what's going on there. I'll let you take it. Cause we have a, Well, I guess they had a blip. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, the the folks that are doing their uh, growth and education in cyber, totally worth it, totally useful. I think you should. Are we in. okay? Sounds like you're coming back. Are we okay here? I hear you. Chase, you want to go? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what just happened. Wow, uh, it's the internet. It's uh, 2022. Nothing ever works, you know, the way that you would expect it to. <laughs> Chase, hopefully you're talking. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're having a couple of technical blips there. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the the point you were making about training and educating your folks, again, super useful. Yes, you should do Can it. Can you guys hear me? Can you guys hear me? My mic just went out. Oh, looks like we had another blip in service there. Okay, so a couple of questions came across. Uh, wouldn't a good blue team assessment be better first than? Can you guys hear me? Can you guys hear me? Oh my god. Yeah, I I, I hear you, but uh, looks like everybody else hears you too. Anyway, I'll just go ahead and answer that question. So yeah, I, uh, Trent, to your point, I think blue team, red team, however you want to call it either one of those pick it and do it. But the point being don't do one of those super crafted penetration tests where you go, here's a group of IPs, here's three applications, scan, 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 run some stuff and then send us a report and a bill and then go on about your day. That's not going to really make a difference. I think personally, either way, whether you do blue team first or red team first, just do a real thing and make it, you know, as applicable as you possibly can and then go forward from there. I personally think it's probably, as good if not better for a red team just because I, I always want to be ready for when the fight happens i think if you're blue team in first you're kind of gaming the system a bit but either way i would say it makes sense to me um and then most organizations see dt as an extension of old-fashioned segmentation yeah, I don't disagree that a lot of folks say that it's an extension of old-fashioned network segmentation. I think network segmentation has kind of morphed into uh, the bigger isolation segmentation, the cloud stuff, the identity side, the IoT, like isolation segmentation now is so much more big, but also so much more granularly applied that it's um, evolved from there. And I, I, would, I would ask, you know, when I do talks with folks, I ask them all the time, if network segmentation was what we had, and we've evolved from that. Why do we continue to still have e events that just take people down and rip networks to shreds? Must mean that the network segmentation is not really dealing with the reality of the problem across infrastructure. Nobody hacks a firewall and then escalates firewall privileges. You go after admin creds and escalate through there. So, you know, I think, I don't think it's wrong, um, but I just think that it's worth pointing out to folks that there are other considerations that are necessary in that bigger, broader picture. I am back, you know, you know, strange things happen, but um, I'm in St. Louis and my power went on and off and then everything went crazy. Last week, we actually had a tornado here. So oh, wow. you think, yeah. you'd think we'd be done. So sorry about that. And thanks to all of our people that are out there on LinkedIn Live.
saving me from that because a whole no, bunch of questions good. passed. So I'll let you finish because it looks like there's still more questions if you want to address some so, of those questions. Yeah, there's one more about uh, disadvantages of ZT as being too many steps for end users. I don't think there is. I think that there's a, there's a, I guess you could call it kind of a curve of success in ZT, right? Where when you first start out, it's kind of kludgy because you're moving into new things and bringing in new technologies. And there's obviously a bit of a, uh, hit on how you do those things. And then at the end of it, you go forward. I've been running in a ZT environment using a stack of stuff since uh, we put it in place um, holistically back in January. I haven't entered a password since January, first week of January. I love it. My life is easy. Um, I've, you know, had less issues with bandwidth, connectivity, throughput, those types of things. Um, I think if you get to ZT and you do it the right way, the users actually become well, and there's studies to back it up too. become um, happier with what security controls you got in place with it. You know, Jonathan Kimmett's on here and he's the CISO from the University of Tulsa. And I don't know if you've ever met him, but he's doing some pretty cool things. Um, he's running his SOC team from the students that are in the cybersecurity. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Get, yeah. So he, he's been doing, um, he's been helping me out with hosting the show when I'm on the road, but he, um, a couple of weeks ago, he had all his stu students that are running the SOC team. And um, what, a, what great experience. It'd be great to see more, you know. I've heard of a few universities that are starting to do that type of stuff that have got kind of pipeline programs to get people into jobs. And I think that's great. It's so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know the guy personally, but well done. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, you'll have to check him out because uh, he actually is going to do a show for me next week because I'm actually going to leave and go on vacation and try not to work that much. <laughs> but he's going to just talk about some of the different certifications. So he, he bring and he had a, um, oh, he had a pen tester. He, it was the day in the life of a pen tester. That was a really interesting show too. So he, he, he brings a whole different side of, you know, people that I would never be able to, uh, you know, get on the show. So thanks Jonathan, Jonathan for everything that you're doing out there to help the show and just bringing in the younger folks into the industry. So, um, going back to, you know, these red team deployments. And as I was saying before I got all cut off is, you know, what are your thoughts? You know, I know that there's still recently, there was somebody, you know, of course, I'm not going to mention the name that, you know, was going to be, um, a speaker for me and was let go because some of the mistakes that he made as the CISO, which what are your th thoughts on that? And that's such a tough, tough place to be in because. It could be anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know that individual, but I've ran into that quite a bit with folks. Um, you know, I, I I've turned down two or three job offers over the course of the last year and a half that were CISO roles because I knew that they were either basically trying to set me up to be a sacrificial lamb, or that there was no way I was actually going to get to execute the stuff. Um, I was trying to put in place. It was a lot of, uh, you know, smile and nod, but not actually going to happen. So, you know, I think for the folks that are trying to get those jobs, they could be cool. They could be really good things for the career, but also my two cents would be be extremely cautious of the folks that are interviewing you and what they're trying to get out of you. And if they're not actually willing to let you execute, go find somewhere else to work because they're, they're setting you up for failure. Um, and I, anytime I see a CISO that gets, tossed for quote you know what they didn't do or whatever unless it was just flat out egregious 
I mean, we've got plenty of examples of folks that did really bad things and ignored a whole lot of best practices that still got big time jobs and big time payouts. So I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty miffed on that one. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I've been noticing a lot of CISOs that are just kind of getting out of the role of CISO. You know, I, I know a handful of them that just happened that are going over um, just to advisory or just not taking the stress of that job. So yeah, um, I, I, when I was um, before I um, came over to my other other spot I was at, I actually had somebody interview me for a CISO role. And this was before the pandemic when I could go to the office and my my conditions were, I want to come to your office and I want to spend a week. And they said, OK, fine. So I flew out there and I sat there for a week. And all I did every day at, at lunchtime was I walked around to see how many people left their laptops and machines logged in with just open to anybody walking by that could do whatever they wanted to the machine. And I took a number. And then every day after lunch, I went and wrote it on the CEO's whiteboard. And every day it was double digits, 35, 45, 85, whatever. And at the end of the week, my, my question to the CEO was, would you let me go off and put a control in right now that would force people to log back in when they when they you know left for lunch and came back? And he was like, well, no, I don't want to hurt people's productivity. And I just said, well, this is not the place for me because I I knew and I, you know, I get it like you're trying to keep productivity up and fine. But if people can't handle something as simple as an, an additional login because they left their machine open, that ain't where I want to be. So how do you get that across to the boards and the C-level teams that how important that is? Because how often do you think that's happening with most large organizations? Well, I would say it happens pretty regularly. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's that's the part where you you need to feel them out really, really, you know, carefully. But the other piece is the security game is not about doing security anymore. It's about business differentiation. And that's that's how we security people need to talk to those business folks and go, look, if you do X and Y and Z and you let me help with X and Y and Z, it'll make the business better because of X and Y and Z. And we have the data to pack this up to prove it like it's it's there. So we we as security people and I include myself in that mix. We have to talk better about how we make businesses better. We can't just keep going. I'm better at security than you and you you suck at whatever and not, not expect to be brought to the table. It just doesn't play. So what, what do you think it's going to take? You know, you probably have the same thing when people ask you, what do you do? And, that you, you know, just some Tom Jones that's sitting next to you on a plane. You say I'm in cybersecurity and they're like, oh, yeah, that, that that's a busy industry. You know, you guys must be busy. You know, what's it going to take for people to understand that it's just not us in the industry? It's it takes everyone to make changes. Well, for the general population, unfortunately, I don't think we'll see change until there's a kinetic event that causes a significant loss of life. And I hate to be the person that says that, especially with all the stuff that's happened recently. But um, people don't really wrap their head around the reality of a problem until people are losing their livelihood or life over it. And people have actually already lost their livelihood over this. But until we have some sort of kinetic type of event where human beings are no longer on planet earth because of a cyber related incident, the general population just doesn't get the gravitas to what we're doing. And that that's for a variety of reasons. Um, we've, you know, applauded breach notifications. No one gives a damn about those. We've talked about fines for big companies and breaches. No one gives a damn about those. Um, the general person doesn't really think about the value of security because they've heard about things like LifeLock and a hundred other deals that will give you a million dollars worth of whatever. So, 
you know, unfortunately, like they told us in the Navy, right? Pain is the best teacher there is until it really hurts. People aren't going to take it serious. Yeah. I, I always, I tell people I'm always, I'm always stocking up on water and making sure, you know, I'm always telling people it, it's going to be our infrastructure. You know, you better make sure you have water, you know, and they, people think I'm crazy because like my garage, I'm just, and I'm really not that kind of person. I've never been that kind of perfect. person. Yeah, no, that's not me at all. I think it's because there was one of our keynote speakers that worked for the water, you know, one of the county's water. And I was like, man, I better stock up on my water. <laughs> I don't want to be without water. Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, I mean, we're, we're interconnected on everything. We're plugged into everything. I don't, I don't think that one of these, you know, quote, cyber Pearl Harbor things is really what I'm concerned about, but I, I do, uh, I do stress and worry about the day when there's going to be something where maybe in the medical system or something where human beings are going to lose their life over a cyber, cyber related incident. And that's going to be a watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that that's a scary thing when you think of all the medical devices that people just take for granted. No, and hospitals are not not big on security. I mean, I did I did a penetration test and a red team in a workshop with a hospital that was run by doctors, and I you know we presented the results at the end, and the doctor that ran the hospital said, "Well, my job is to save lives, not do not do IT." And I was like, "Well, I don't want to be in this hospital." Well, Trent has a comment, and if you want to read what he has. Um, Let's see. Are you talking true ZTE microsegmentation and next-gen firewall? True ZTE is rough. Working for the government, I'm sure implementing any type of true. Well, number one, your caveat there, working for the government. I mean, there you go. That's probably one reason why things are complicated. Um, not, not, <laughs> not to be... Uh, you know, whatever with it, but it just is the reality of it. I, 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 I think the microsegmentation is where it's really where it's really at when you're getting towards ZT. Next-gen firewall has been a good step in that direction, um, but we're, there's other pieces of that need to be put in place. Uh, depending on which government you're talking about, state and local or federal, whatever, different agencies are having different levels of success. So it's um, it goes back to that thing and kind of said earlier where everybody's got their own kind of flavor of the ice cream. It's just how big a bite you take. Well, I have to give a shout out to Trent. He, um, he is a, a information security officer, but he just sat on a panel out in Denver with uh, the infamous Chris Roberts. Um, do you know Chris? I know Chris. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a very, very interesting. He was our keynote a few weeks ago, and we're not able to put that keynote on our YouTube channel. <laughs> if anybody yeah, Chris knows awesome. Chris. But anyway, Trent was out there, and Trent does a lot for the veterans. So he spends tons of his time helping the military veterans. He's a veteran himself, you know, just trying to help them get jobs and help, you know, um, you know, just we need more people helping veterans. So thanks to Trent's hard work for everything he does with the veterans out That's there. Super. Yep. Yep. Um, but going back again, um, what he was talking about is uh the government. Oh, well, we're going back to hospitals. So how are we going to get around that? Is it just going to take one bad thing to happen? Unfortunately, at a no, hospital? I mean, in, in hospitals and medical industry, money talks, everything else walks. So until, you know, once we get the, uh, the fines and the requirements high enough, and it actually starts really hurting the bottom line specific to cybersecurity for healthcare systems, then the games will change, but it still hasn't gotten there yet. Um, you know, there's, 
there's so many ways to kind of weasel around a lot of the requirements that are in that space. So what is, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to think of like my past attendees. I'm thinking about people from the healthcare industry and I can't write off, think like, you know, what percentage that we see at our events, but how are the security teams overall at most of the larger hospitals? Well, from the ones that I've run into, most of them have outsourced their security teams to some MSP, MSSP provider, which is a good way to go about it. Personally, I don't think if you're, you know, a hospital, you should, I think at a hospital, you should be concerned with saving lives, not necessarily doing IT or security. However, comma, um, they need to, you know, have a really focused effort there and approach the problem realistically. It's not enough to say, yep, we have a SOC. Yep, we have, you know, endpoint security. Um, there's, there's issues with, uh, hospitals that are more intricate that require a more focused effort. So, so you think, so then going over on the financial side, um, do you think it's going to, I mean, we've, we're seeing tons of people that have lost their money because of ransomware and stuff, but what's it going to take to, I mean, I, I know companies that are personal friends of mine that are business owners that I'm like, that's crazy that you have one outsourced person, you know, controlling your security. You know, I guess it's going to take. Well, I mean, what's it going to take? I mean, the entire NHS for the UK got ransomed and they're still where they're at. They haven't really changed that much. So it's one of those things of I don't think we've crossed the threshold yet. It's going to take something pretty significant. Well, hopefully uh, that doesn't happen anytime soon when we have dr zero trust out there hopefully uh i mean i think i personally think that and i've 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 written and drafted and sent up legislation to folks that have an ability to put that stuff in place that we need punitive measures in legislation just like we have for the airline industry and whatever else that if you engage in negligent activities in cyber and it causes significant loss of finances significant loss of life etc cetera, etc cetera, individuals will be the ones that are punished because they're doing those things. And that, I think that that will be what finally changes the game for organizations. Cause you know, you can't, you can't have somebody that's pulling a million dollar a year paycheck that does stuff that they know is, or, you know, affiliated with things that are going to cause major failure and compromise for millions of Americans. And then they go, oops, my bad. And then they walk away, they get fired but they walk away with a three or $4 million payday. You know what, for three or $4 million, if you want to fire me, send me the check. Right. So do you think that this new initiative from the white house is going to, how do you think that's going to pave the way to, because I've had this conversation with many of my guests and some people think, no, people should not be fined. You know, it, it's the, I mean, I think that that's part of the deal, right? If you're going to take, if you're nowadays, today in 2022 and beyond, you don't have the ability to say, I didn't know. I mean, we're your uh, big time CISO. You're running a major organization. You're getting paid a big chunk of dollars. You're handling a multi-million dollar or billion dollar budget. Um, that plausible deniability stuff in my book doesn't fly anymore. So the fact that we have guidance level things coming from the white house on strategy and best practices and no longer can you turn a blind eye to it will work its way down and this legislation side of it i think will work its way and hopefully meet somewhere in the middle now that also means that the uh you know goobers up on capitol hill have to actually execute on something but that's a whole other story well that was going to be my next question you know we hear this from the white house but then what next you know, do we, is it going to be another five years before a step's taken in the right direction? Because we all know how slow government is. 
Well, I mean, do you do you, I'll give you a guess on how many people, how many members of either the Congress or Senate have degrees in, in a computer science related field out of 400 plus. Guess how many? I wouldn't guess a lot. Two. OK, I, yeah. I was I figured pretty and, low. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a better one. Guess when they get when they earn their degrees in a computer science related field. Uh, probably later in life. Uh, back in the 80s. Yeah. Oh, so OK, OK. How far how far are we from, you know, that? point in time and it's it's not to say that i knock their intelligence because they're all really smart people and they're all really good you know hardworking people but the, the the deal is they don't understand you know what we're doing here i i i did a, a closed door session with some members of congress on drone security at airports and i kept talking about the technical controls around drones for you know airports because i wrote about it in one of my books and People were uh, they the the Congress people that I was dealing with kept saying, "Well, it's that's against the law." And my response was, "Yes, I understand that's against the law. What I'm saying is, there's no technical thing that stops me from doing that. That it's against the law for me to speed. I can speed as long as I don't get caught. Who cares?" Yeah, Matt Matt Clark said the '70s, which you know probably. I mean, when you know we were, I'm older than you, but when I was in the military, you know, I don't even. I mean, there was no, I mean, they got it when there was no internet, they got their degrees when there was no internet. So exactly. that that's pretty crazy. You know, I, I would have thought it would have been otherwise, maybe they did it later in life because I wouldn't have thought those programs were even available, you know, when they were young. No, I mean, it, it, and again, it's like, I, I, I believe in the system. I, you know, I think that they're, they're good people that are trying to do the right things, but I don't think that a lot of them have got, the technical chops to really put this legislation in place the right way. And those folks that, oh, they have aides that do that and whatever else. I've been on Capitol Hill and talked to the folks that are helping them. And they're not, they're not the folks that are, they're not coming out of, uh, um, you know, technical colleges. They're coming out of liberal arts schools and they're focused on law. Well, you know, I do know some of the past, you know, um, CISOs that have been at the White House. I I don't know who the current CISO is. And, you know, those people, the women, you know, you, you probably know who they are. You know, they've gone on to do really great things with their career. So what is happening with, um, you know, the security teams at the White House? The White House has got some good leadership, some people that really understand the technology. Um, there's a whole bunch of really great folks that are doing that type of work. Um, the people that are running agencies in general and the people that are doing a lot of the um focused work in cyber policy get it they have the background they have the technical chops etc it's the it's the translation between policy technologist and whatever else to legislation that's the issue trent has another comment i'm letting chase read them because i'm using two screens so <laughs> if you want to read trent's oh, well. comment Let's see. Our cyber groups have been talking about and making cyber into a carrot, not a stick. Can't we work with cyber insurance, government contract and make factor? Couldn't we create a cyber credit scoring with mandating a process like CMMC? I mean, that's a good idea. Um, CMMC, if you're not aware, has kind of taken a bit of a stumbling block. So it's being kind of reevaluated and rejiggered, which is going to cause more problems. Cyber insurance, I'll say it unequivocally, is a friggin' ripoff, and it's only going to cause more problem, and it is uh, not living up to the hype of which it's been built. So I'm hesitant to say that that's useful, but I, I would love for it to be a carrot. I think we've had kind of this carrotish, stickish thing for a long time, 
Um, I don't know how you would ever incentivize someone to do the right things and employ the right controls when we know unequivocally if you do the right things and employ the right controls, it makes things better. And it's how much how much more carrot can I give you than making things better? So, I mean, ultimately, I believe it's got to be something like a stick. If I build an airplane and I know that the engines are going to fall off at 30,000 feet, bad things happen to me. Um, you know, Boeing just dealt with that. So it, I, I think the stick is more applicable personally. Uh, Matt Clark throwing some humor in there saying, ha ha, the 80s when Michael Jackson was a thriller and I was peeking and poking on the <laughs> Commodores. <laughs> so true, you know, um, which he just made me lose my point of where I was going. I was going, I was, I had a question for you. Um, but I just lost my train of thought. Well, but. I mean, eighties, eighties was a while ago and it's, um, you know, fundamentals still apply, but it, it just is, we have so much more new technology now and the, those old approaches just aren't as applicable as they you know, were back in the eighties. Yeah. I mean, when you think about passwords, it, it's been a while. I had a guest and I forgot his name. You probably know him. He's, um, he's creating, you know, going passwordless. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, was it Tradeware? Was it the guys from Tradeware? No. Um, and he works with the guy that was on the movie. Um, that was the big criminal. You know, oh, with Kevin Mitnick. Yeah, not Kevin Mitnick, but the oh, other guy. Oh, oh what you know, you can catch me if you can. Yeah, Frank catch me. Yeah. 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 So he's working with Frank Abbott and Gal, and I forgot his name, but um, you know, he was talking about we've had passwords since the eighties and nothing really has changed much with passwords. So what are your uh, thoughts on that? You know, I mean, like I said earlier, I I've I put stuff in place with our company, uh, or company I'm doing the most work with right now, and we've been passwordless on our stuff since January. I don't miss my password at all. Haven't reset it. I use biometrics for stuff. Um, I do ZTNA to get to what I need to get to. I've got some other things in the stack, but life is great. I don't, I could, I'm not the only place, funny enough, the only place that I still use a password for is my bank. <laughs> I was going to say that. I guess you still have to, uh, but at least um, they put MFA on my account. Not that I have any money, but at least it's there. <laughs> Yeah, that's, you know, it's interesting because I bank with a smaller business bank and I feel like they are more, they have better security controls than some of the larger banks that I, you know, I feel very safe with where I am right now, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think um, the banking, the finance industry has probably done the most movement on cyber in general just because they've been in the fight longer than anybody else. Healthcare is lagging. Yeah, and there's there's some uh, uh somebody saying choppy audio. We'll catch up. That's just LinkedIn Live, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so what you know, we're back to the healthcare, and I have had speakers at my events again. You know, just completely talking about medical devices and scary, you know, scary stuff when you have family members that you know do have medical devices and you know may have um, you know, something that they're living on and you know what that's just scary there's nothing there's nothing we can say or do but just hope it doesn't happen to one of your family members well i mean the one thing that really i think for me is is in the medical industry that concerns me the most is the pharmaceutical side of it the fact that they do inventory and they do ordering and all that other stuff with um automated uh, web-based systems where 
you know, if you could imagine if I could get in the middle of that transmission, what if I modified the dosage for the medication you're supposed to take and you go home with a prescription from the doctor that says, take double what you're supposed to take. Doesn't sound like it's, you know, um, really that big of a deal, but if you're taking, you know, medication that lowers your blood pressure and you take double the dose, that can be bad. And how is that happening? So I, that's something well, I've that's never the thing, thought of. Like when you look at these systems that do prescription and do uh, the interaction between, you know, how you talk to your physician and how you get your whatever, they're web apps with hopefully some decent security on the other side of it, but there's also connectivity to other systems where someone could potentially get in the middle of that. I mean, for me, for my doctor, I, I go to the doctor, whatever, once or twice a year to do my physicals. And then unless there's an issue and then anything else, when I need a script, I just send a text through the portal they give me, tell them what I need a refill on and it goes to Walgreens. But it would be pretty for, possible for someone to get in the middle of that whole big communication and just go, well, let me change a couple things. Um, if you want to read what Michael said, I think it's easy. Well, the latest Verizon report says that basic web app infiltration became the main vector. Yeah. During 2021, I just finished reading the Dipper the other day. I, I mean, that's like I say, for me, that very practical problem is something that really does concern me. I'm not like the medical device and changing someone's insulin dosage with a wireless or whatever. Like that's, that's a very one-to-one -one sort of thing. And I would need other, other issues to cause that. Um, but for me, I'm thinking of pharmaceutical medical manipulation of, um, you know, the patient experience that would be really detrimental. Well, and the patient experiences become so electronic. I mean, it's, it's so easy for us to get whatever we want, but you're right. Are we getting what is the right things? Because it's become so easy. Yeah. It's, uh, it just is like, you know, ease is ease is great but it's also potentially risky i mean not, not that i want to go drive to the pharmacy or go drive to the doctor's office to get some script that's very very basic but i just think from the programmatic side and the risk side of it like to me um just like michael was saying we know that that's a primary vector for threat so why aren't we dealing with that and then you know if you look at the medical industry right now i mean there's I probably in the last hour, I've seen three different subscription services that will send you medication. But guess how you get to all those things to order your meds through a web app. So are you talking not not just through your local pharmacy? You're talking about if you're going on the web to get like, well, we all know prescriptions are very expensive. So are people, is that causing people to become more vulnerable because they're out there searching where they can get their medication cheaper? Well, I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying from my mind, because I always play the bad guy side of it, which is probably more of a character flaw in me than anything else. But I mean, that's really that's really something to be concerned about, I think, because, um, you know, the medical it would be very difficult at a scale that's actually useful to go after medical devices and like manipulating like surgical things or something or else. However, look at how big the prescription pharma industry is and the way that we get our medications. And the fact, like I said, you get them through web apps and you just order them. If somebody gets in there and just decides to manipulate database stuff and some entries and, you know, flim flam, a couple of things, you could possibly cause, you know, severe health consequences. Well, and now we have all these apps and, and we are getting close to running out of time that just has your whole medical history, you know, that you, 
Oh, mine's yeah, mine's mine's in like uh, the hospital system. It's on a web app, and every time I look at it, I just like sweat bullets because I'm like, oh, I might as well just post this on a freaking billboard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really scary. I mean, my daughter had to, they left me a message. You know, you you can check her stuff on my whatever the hospital name is dot com. You know, and I'm like, that is you know, how secure is that? And well, I mine I mine I tried to enter a really like 18 character password, and it said, don't we don't do 18 character passwords. <laughs> that had to drive you absolutely insane yeah i sent an email to the help desk and they just were like uh okay (laughs) (laughs) who's this crazy person yeah who's the tinfoil hat weirdo that's texting us about this so we're down to like three minutes left if you have like a minute or two to just kind of your last minute thoughts we've had a lot of uh, viewers today and listeners um what people can be doing again we've talked about it the whole past 50 minutes but your take on just what we can do to move forward positively i mean i think the 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 positive thing right is is um folks shouldn't get too mired in that this is unachievable we can't get past this whatever I, i mean we can solve any problem we're faced with we've proven that you know over the course of the last few years for sure um it's not always easy and it's not always a simple fix but it does require strategic focus and effort and those types of things. So I think that that's the big takeaway for me. And then the other piece is to change your approach and trying to think of how will I never let a bad thing occur? Bad things happen. That's just how it is. But how would you put a control in place that would limit the fallout if when something, when something bad does occur? And think about think about from the from the adversary's perspective, not from the perfect defense side of it. Uh, I'm, I, I'm going to screw up. I want to know how I'll not be hit by the bad guys and not, not fall apart. And if anyone wants to find you, I know you're going to, you're doing a couple of different things out at RSA. Yeah. I'll be at RSA Sunday through Wednesday night, uh, Thursday morning or whatever. And then um, I'll be on the floor. Um, I'll be on social, easy to find if you're looking for me. Um, and then I think we have our event we're doing there. So if you're out there and you're looking for something to do on, um, I believe it's the 8th, come by and say hi. All right. Well, Chase Cunningham, Dr. Zero Trust. It was so awesome to have you back on the show. Um, it was great for you to hear our little um, intro since Chase pretty much wrote that for me. So thank you so much, Chase, for joining us again. Um, everyone next week, Jonathan Kimmett's going to be hosting the show. He's going to have a guest that they're going to talk about all the different certifications for the security professionals out there. So looking forward to that show. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Try to take some time off. Um, enjoy this long holiday work on, um, everything but work and enjoy your families. So everyone stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.